0: journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adel Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome to 101.95 FM. I am Rebberton Adel Kazilski, and I'm really excited to be spending the next hour or so, not even hour, maybe about 40 minutes with you exploring biblical text. And as you know, for those that are listen all the time, we are learning the book of Genesis, the parsha of Vayera. We're in chapter 22, and uh, we are studying the quite enigmatic uh, episode. Of the sacrifice, and sacrifice. If you could see me physically, I'd be p- picking up my fingers and doing like a little jig with my forefingers because I'd put it in inverted commas. The sacrifice of Isaac, because indeed it wasn't a sacrifice at the end, as we all know. Um, but it really it, the whole the whole idea of Akedat Yitzchak in and of itself is a is is questionable in that what is it in truth? That God asked of Abraham was it really the murder of his son, or was there something far greater? Last week we went through some of the ideas that um, that uh, that that we spoke about in a, in a, in a general way. That Abraham um, went through ten tests. This was the biggest test of them all. This was the ultimate of all tests. And uh, we enumerated all the various difficulties that he had in in life. And we also spoke about the fact that what does it mean for God to test us? God is not testing us because he needs to know how we're going to do. Because if he is God, then he knows how we are going to do without testing us. The test ultimately comes because we need to know who we are and what it is that we are capable of. And that is a very, very powerful lesson which we expounded uh, on last week. And I urge you to go and uh, download the podcast if you did miss that broadcast and uh, hear all the ideas that I presented then. In the meantime, we are now going to move forward and start looking into the various verses uh, that... Pertain to the Akeda. We're going to look at it in detail and understand it somewhat more. Hi your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back and we are going to be looking now into, uh, the verses in particular to do with the Akeda, with the sacrifice of Yitzchak and start answering some of the questions that I did ask last week, which were in fact pretty numerous and uh for us to understand so let's un- let's just put the the sacrifices this entire episode into historical context we know that abraham um lived uh was living in the um area of the philistine with abimelech he stayed there for 26 years and then what happened was that he went back and settled it in- back in hebron and we are told that it was on the 27th of Elul, that means three days before Rosh Hashanah, in the year 2084, which if anybody's interested for me to translate that into the Gregorian calendar, that would have been the 5th of September 1677 BCE, before the Common Era. Abraham was then 137 years old Yitzchak was 37 years old And God now Appears to him with what was To be the biggest test Of his life We're looking now in verse 2 of chapter 22 If you'd like to follow in Which says as follows Vayomer, God says Kachna, take please Et bincha, your son Et your only one, Asherah Haftah, whom you love, et Yitzchak, Yitzchak, Lecha, and go out al Eretz HaMoriah, to the land of Moriah, sham le-ola, and you will bring him up as an offering, al Achat HaHeharim Asher Omar Elecha, on one of the mountains I will show you. Well, immediately we have many, many, many questions over here. Okay, um, why the description of the way to bring to 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 um, tell him that it's Yitzchak? Take for yourself your son, your only son, the one that you love, Yitzchak. That's the first question, and then why why go and say lech lechol? Go for yourself. To a land that I will show you. Again, it seems very, very uh, indicative of the first time or the first second time he was tested. Abraham, when he got the commandment from God to lech lecha, to go out from yourself and go, leave your land and your people, etc., etc. So, literally, basically, God was telling Abraham, "Take your son." And he requested it as something of a Plea rather than a demand. He said, "Kachna, please take." So uh, the rabbis ask, "Why did he do that? Why did he ask it, so to speak, as a request and not as a demand?" So th- we are told that you could use, you could explain that through a a parable, and the parable goes as follows: that once there was a king, he had a brilliant general who was undefeated in battle. battle. And when the king's enemies saw that they couldn't attain victory over him, they assembled a large army, which they were sure this general would not be able to defeat. And seeing the large army, the king said to the general, listen, this is going to be your decisive battle. If you show any hesitation or fear, your reputation is going to be ruined, and all your previous victories are going to be in vain. So what is the nimshal? What is the parable telling us? Similarly, God said to Abraham, listen, you've successfully passed. You've managed to do well in the first nine tests that I've placed in your path, as we had discussed. And you have certainly demonstrated your uh, saintly qualities. But now is the decisive test. If you fail now, people would say that all the previous tests proved nothing. So... Take your son. So Abraham responded to God and said, I have two sons. Which one should I take? So then God said, Eti your only son. So Abraham replied, But they are both my sons. Each one is an only, is a yachid to his mother. He's an only son to his mother. So God replied, Asher ahafta." The one whom you love. Abraham replied, Are there boundaries in a man's heart? A man loves all his children alike. How can I differentiate between them? So then God says it specifically. Ed Yitzchok, take Yitzchak. Go now and go to the land of Moriah and bring him up as an offering on one of the mountains, which I will designate to you. So uh, Abraham goes and says, Raboyna Shaloyna, Lord of the Universe, how can a sacrifice be offered without a priest? To which, to, without a kohen, to which God replies, um, you are a priest because you'll remember when Noah's son Shane came forth to greet you after you defeated the four kings, he blessed you first and only then did he bless me. And you reprimanded him telling him it's not fitting to praise a slave before his master. And on that day, I took the high priesthood from shame, and I gave it to you. So I want you to go, and I want you to go with strength, and I want you to go with courage, because this is the ultimate test. If you fail this, it will be as if you have failed the other nine tests. So really, again, we can ask the question, as Why did God then beat around the bush? Just say, Abraham, take your son Yitzchak. Take Yitzchak. He didn't have to say your son. We know who Yitzchak is. Abraham was very clear. And so was everybody else. Take your son Yitzchak. And so we are told that basically God, God was talking to Abraham out of love. And when one speaks out of love... And particularly when God speaks to a saintly person, to a tzaddik, He doesn't reveal His intentions to His, His, uh, His tzaddikim immediately. He informs them with hints and allegories so that they can build up a desire to do His will. Before they know what to do, they must ask, they must probe, and they have an entire discussion. The Talmud calls this Shachar Pesiyot, the reward for the steps. So he kind of like did it in a step-by-step way so that um, Abraham could have merit not only in the deed, but in the steps that he took, and at the same time, he showed a certain kindness to Abraham, um, not to barrage him with this, what seemingly um, sounds like a huge thing to go and take Isaac, who was to be his inheritor, and completely completely uh, destroy him. We're just going to go for a little bit of a break and when we get back, we're going to explore this a little bit more. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Right, we are back and we are going to now um, look into the Midrash, because certainly the verses in the Torah don't explain this, what really really happened behind the scenes. So you can just imagine, God comes to Abraham and says, listen, Take the son, the one that you love, your only son, Yitzchak, and I want you to go and and bring him up as an offering in a land um, of Maria on a mountain I will show you. You can just imagine what Abraham's first thought was, was how am I going to tell Sarah about this? Certainly, certainly, if he goes and says it outright, he was, he was worried that she might prevent him. And if he went without telling her, she would die of grief when she, she would learn that her beloved son was gone. So it says, the Midrash says that he pondered long and hard, and he finally came up with a plan. What was the plan? He went to his missus and said, hey, prepare a feast. Let us eat together and rejoice. To which Sarah said, well, what's the occasion? Why are we having a feast? So Abraham replied, for us, every day is a special occasion. We are old people. We have such a wonderful son, we should have a feast every day. We should show gratitude. So, listen, Sarah was a bit confused about this, but she, she, she listened to her husband, Abraham. She went and prepared a special meal. And when dessert was being served, Abraham became pensive, and he became sort of like broody. And he said, you know, when I was only three years old, I began to recognize Hashem. And even as a small child, I, I sought to understand his will. And look, now we have a son, Yitzhak, he's already 37 years old, and he hasn't learned much about God's commandments in depth. And how can we ignore such an important aspect of our dear son's education? So he says to Sarah, I know of a place not too far from here where there is an academy in which God's commandments are taught, and I'd like to go enroll Yitzhak as a student there. Let him see how young men like himself study the divine word, let him sharpen his intellect in profound dialogue, and I'll remain with him and I'll oversee his studies. I mean, why would a mother disagree with that? Good idea, very good idea, said Sarah. Take Yitzhak, and may you have every success, but Promise me, before you go, and this is if you want to know why Jewish women are hysterical, well, we've got the genes of our foremother, former uh, Sarah. She says, promise me one thing, you will not take your eyes from him. And don't let him stay many years without coming home for a visit, because, well, what's a Jewish mother? That would cause me a lot of pain. Yitzhak is the only thing I have left in this world, and it is my only hope. So as a good mother, she knows that she has to sacrifice, she has to let go of her kids, and at the same time, she's this good Jewish mother. Just make sure he visits his mother often, and don't you dare let him get into any trouble. We're told, uh, the Midrash continues, that Sarah spent the entire night weeping, and she hugged and kissed Yitzhak and said to him, how can I let go of the light of my eyes? And she kept Abraham up all night, reminding him to make sure that Yitzhak would eat on time, and dress well, good Jewish mother, take good care of my son, don't let him strain himself, if he speaks or acts improperly, don't be too harsh with him, don't scream with him. (laughs) You can just imagine it, um, and it's not too hard to imagine, because all us Jewish women are like that. And then we're told that she went to her chest, and she took out the finest cloak that Melech had given her when she left the palace, and she put it on Yitok and she dressed him like a prince. And with tears in her eyes, she baked her son's favorite foods and tenderly wrapped them for the journey. And with tears running down her cheeks, she told Yitzchak, may it only be granted that I see you again alive and well. We're told further that when um, everybody saw Sarah's anguish in taking leave from Yitzchak, Abraham and all the 318 men um, also sat down and began to weep. And this, like there was a tremendous amount of exhaustion and sadness, and Sarah only managed, the whole household only managed to fall asleep after they left. Very, very sad, and one can feel the pain and the heart-rendering decision um, to allow the child to go. I kind of like close my eyes and think, as a Jewish mother, you know when you used to say goodbye to your kids at the airport and know that they're going overseas and this wasn't a biblical times you know i'll be in contact with you with whatsapp and i'll do this and i'll do that and and, and we hover at how very very hard it was for sarah not knowing an end point um, and when yitzhak will in fact return truth be said um, and this is really fast forwarding but she does not see yitzhak again um, she passes away when Yitzchak is coming back down the mountain, but we will touch um, on that at a later stage. Right, verse three the Yashkem Abraham Baboike. Abraham gets up early in the morning. The et Hamaro he goes and hitches up his donkey He takes two boys with him, and he takes his son, Yitzchak. He splits the burnt offering wood. He gets up and he moves out to the place where God designated for him. So first question, Veyashkem Avraham Babokir. Avraham gets up very early in the morning. We are told by Rashi in his eagerness to fulfil uh to fulfil the mitzvah, the commandment. So Veyashgem when it says that he woke up is indicative, Rashi says, that in fact he slept that entire night. So what one can really see here is just that marvel at his complete trust in God, which allowed him to be calm and serene, despite his knowledge that what he was going to be doing was seemingly going to slaughter his beloved son. So um, Vayashem is very, very telling of the imuna of the Bitachan, that Avram had in this test, and as we spoke before, a test is not about what God is trying to work out to see if we can pass, but rather the test is there to see what we ourselves can show ourselves, what we can pass and Here you can see Abraham flies with uh, passes with flying colours in terms of his complete um, dependence and connectedness to God that whatever God was telling him to do, albeit though for sure psychologically, emotionally, um, intellectually, um, it flies against the very grain of what a father does to a beloved son. He still trusted that God meant good and wanted only good, and he rose to that um, expectation. The Talmud also goes and says that we can learn over here that one should um, only start preparing from from dawn, that there isn't a mitzvah to prepare from before. And one of the things you can see is that he took this test very seriously and he did things himself. et He saddled his donkey, meaning he did it personally instead of ordering it um, of one of his servants to do. Because, as we know in the Gemara, it says, (laughs) "Ha'ahava mikalkelet etashura. Okay? That love, meaning the love of God, disregards the rule of normal conduct. When you know you are doing something and you know that it means a tremendous amount, not only to you, but to the person whom you're doing it for, you do it personally. He had enough servants. He could have told them, listen, you know. Put everything together for our expedition, but in fact he he did it. And the truth be said is that the saddling of the donkey you could have gone and said would have been beneath the dignity of Abraham, the stature that he had. But because he was uh, he was very eager to perform God's will, Abraham ignored his own honor and he did it himself. Very very interestingly, there's four. Places in the Chumash where we see people hitching their own, um, they're doing hitching their own chariots or their own donkeys or doing it themselves out of eagerness. The first is um, Pharaoh. He hitched his chariot when he was when he uh, let the Jews go, and then he decided. Oh, he changed his mind, and it wasn't such a good idea we can we, we we see this in in Shemot, in exodus in verse in chapter 14 verse 6 it says and he pharaoh hitched his chariot to pursue the israelites so with his own hand he hitched it because normally it's the manner of kings um, to stand aside and let the others prepare his chariot but because he was so so wicked um, and he was so enthusiastic Um, We're told that he hitched it joyfully. He was just so excited that he was going to go out and capture all all the Jews back again as servants. The second person who hitched a wagon was, in fact, Yosef. Yosef uh, hitched a wagon to go and greet his father, Yaakov. And yes, remember, at that point in time, Yosef was viceroy in Egypt. He had many servants. He could have gone and said, prepare my chariot for him. But because he was... Wanting to fulfill the mitzvah of um, of kibbut av, the honor of his father, he himself personally hitched his wagon. The third person who hitched um, a, a a a donkey was in fact uh, a Bilam. Now Bilam, um, we certainly learn in the negative. Bilam, it says, saddled his donkey joyfully to go curse Israel, remember Bilam was dispatched by the king of Moab to go and curse the Jews and when he arrived at the top of the mountain and he beheld the encampment of the Jews, what he did what, what came out of his mouth was in fact not cursing but blessing but it said that he was very excited for his uh, mission and so he did that joyfully albeit that he was doing it joyfully for a bad thing, him and Paroi did it for bad Um. Yosef did it for good. He did it for Kippur Av. And Abraham did it um, because of his love of God. So he himself went and saddled the donkeys. And he took the two young men. Naar is a young man. Now, who were these two people? So we are told they in fact were Eliezer, who was Abraham's faithful servant, whom we will meet more in the next uh, Pasha, where Eliezer goes on a mission for Abraham. But we have heard of Eliezer before um, through Midrash. Um, he was one of the most dedicated uh, servants of Abraham. And we're told that the second person he took was Yishmael. Now the question can really be asked, well, why are you calling them Na'arim? Two young men. Na'ar is a, is a youngster. Uh, when in fact, Yishmael, if, if Yitzchok was 37 years old, when he, uh, went up for the sacrifice, uh, what's his name, um, Yishmael was 14 years older. So that made him 53. And we're told that Eliezer was the same age, plus or minus, to Abraham. Abraham, we know, was 137. How do you actually call them Na'arim? So if you look at the explanations, they said the reason why they are called Naaren is because they were in service of Abraham. Here it is it's meaning that um, they were accomplices to Abraham they were not they were not Narim in, in chronological age but rather in terms of status they 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 were lower than Abraham they were servants of Abraham and that's why they were called uh Na'arim. so Abraham wakes up early in the morning he saddles the donkey himself to show his love and his desire To fulfill this mitzvah in its entirety by by himself, and he takes two men along with him, with his son Yitzchak. Now it says um, that he went and yivaka atze Ola. He splits the burnt offering wood. What 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 does that mean? Surely he could have found wood on the mountain. But we know that not all wood can be used for sacrifice. Why? Because when one would sacrifice, one would use wood for an altar, it must be carefully examined. It has to be made sure that it doesn't contain any insects or worms, just very much the way that um, we Jewish people examine vegetables. Because if you even find a trace of any type of insect in wood, it's unfit for the altar, so Abraham did not want to um, wait till he got there to go and see uh, if he can find wood and then to go check the wood, and he was intent on fulfilling this mitzvah in the most um, expeditious way possible. And so what he did is he split the wood himself, he prepared the fire, he took a slaughtering knife, he took absolutely everything that he knew that he needed. Um, also, he was wanted to be very careful that when he does go and sacrifice Yitzchak, that he was fulfilling all the laws. One of the other things that we learn very, very interestingly from the word va'yivakar that he split, that because he took so much care in splitting the wood, that in fact God does a miracle for for him. Um, for his descendants, and this is where we merited the fact that um, we had the splitting of the sea. So, with everything that Abraham is doing, there is a tremendous amount of intent. There's a tremendous amount of 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 uh, of preparation and concentration that he actually uh, does it himself. And then it says, "VaYakam, Vayelech. He gets up and he goes. Why? by Like And then he goes. Why do you have to say he gets up and he goes? Obviously, if you get up, you're going. And if you're going, we understood that you got up. Why use those words? So we're told that this was to teach us that he was not faint-hearted. He wasn't worried about it. Again, he didn't feel weak um, as a result of the emotional ordeal, which he must have been going through. Okay. Instead he stood up And he firmly set out on foot Of a journey of several days And um, The Midrash goes and Says to us that in fact um, Abraham Was rewarded separately for both acts For the Vayakam For him getting up And also For the fact that he Went because um, That showed Again His complete, complete commitment to where he was going. And where was he going? It says, And he was going to the place that God had shown him. Understand this. He didn't know where he was going. This is the second time he's being tested. And this is, I think, a fundamental thing for human beings. Um, one of the ways that we 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 drown in anxiety and fear is because we do not know the future here there was no worry about that there was no nervousness about that there was no emotional upheaval about it he was very very uh, firm in his his uh, journeying and in where he was going even if god hadn't shown him he was going towards his goal a very very powerful lesson for us Today, particularly in times of uncertainty, to know that Hashem is running the world and we should just do what we need to do. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we are studying the verses of the Akedat Yitzhak, the sacrifice of Yitzhak, and we see how very, very intent. Abraham is in fulfilling the the the, the, the will of God, um, and again, as mentioned before the break, it's something that <clears throat> I think that we are sorely lacking in today's society: this ability to trust and understand that the difficulties that we are going through are orchestrated by something far greater than us, and it can appear, and it does manifest itself. As seemingly negative, um, and I'm not abrogating the, the 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 stress and the 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 painfulness um, and uh, emotional uphill that everybody is feeling. But as Jews, we need to look back into the Bible and draw strength and understanding of how our forefathers worked in a time of stress. And this is really, really a very poignant. Um, point in time, because I think, and this we discussed last week, the sacrifice of a son um, is something that it goes beyond one's wildest imaginations. Um, very often, you will hear and see of parents who give up their lives for their kids. It's not when a parent goes and takes away the life of, of a child. So, undeniably, um, whilst you can see. The emotional fragility of Sarah and her, her ability to understand that you have to fulfill God's will and she lets him go, but she is emotionally distraught about it. Abraham, the paradigm of connectedness to God, to the God that he found himself is very much connected in a very, very profound way. And that is why I, 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 I think that when God is giving the command to Abraham, and he says, take your son, your only son, the one that you love, it, Yitzhak, and go, lech means go, lecha to yourself, to the land of Moriah. He's again bringing and, and, an awakening in Abraham that very, very, um, deep need to Go inwards. Go into yourself. I'm asking you again to explore and find the hidden qualities within yourself that will allow you to navigate what on face value initially seems like the most preposterous request that there is. And verse 4, and this is where we're going to stop in it because there actually is a, a, a tremendous amount just to... Uh, to, to, to swallow, it says, And on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the, the place from afar. So why did Abraham take, uh, uh take three days? That's the first question. And what was the third day? When did that happen? So the first uh, part of the answer is is that it shouldn't have taken him three days. It took it should have taken him eight hours. But because Abraham was so intent in fulfilling the mitzvah, he did it slowly and deliberately. You know, sometimes when we want something not nice to just pass by, as like coronavirus, we just actually just want it to go away. Just go away as fast as you can. Go away. And, uh, you know, when you know that 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 something is looming, many times you go and just say, I just wish it would come and it would go away afterwards. I just wanted to get it over and done with. Abraham didn't. He took three days. He was very, very um, connected to what he was doing. And it also went to show that um, Abraham didn't want anybody to point a finger and say, you know what? Great that he wanted to sacrifice his his son to God and that he wanted to show this connectedness to God, but because he did it in such a hurry, he didn't think about it because had he thought about it, he would have retracted. So we have it that it took him three days to get what should have been an eight hour journey to show that there was no, there was no impetuous behavior here. There wasn't a, it wasn't coming out of a place of fear. It wasn't coming out of a place where let's just get it over and done with because I can't handle the thought. He actually was very much present in what he was doing and why he was doing it. That's the first thing. Now, the third day, what day of the week, of the year, was the third day? So we actually have three different opinions. The opinion that is accepted the most is the fact that the third day was, in fact, Rosh Hashanah. It was the first of Tishrei in the year 2086, which then would have corresponded to the 26th of September, 1676, before the Common Era. Um, and that is why we read Akedah Yitzchak um, the whole incident of this sacrifice on the first day of Rosh Hashanah however uh, there are other rabbis who go and hold that the Akedah actually happened on Yom Kippur and that's why uh, Abraham's descendants are granted atonement on that day because the Akedah happened on Yom Kippur other commentators, like the Midrash Shmos Rabbah, said the Akedah actually happened in Nisan on Pesach. And um, we are told that the righteous die on the date of their birth. How do we know that? We see that from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was born and died on the 7th of Adar. And so the Midrash holds that in fact this was Pesach. But we are going to go according to the first opinion that the third day was in fact Rosh Hashanah. He lifts up his eyes He sees the place from afar. How does he see it? Like if you looked around, you would have just seen mountains. What is it that he saw? So we are told in the Midrash again that Avram saw a strange dark cloud hovering over the mountain and surrounding it. And by this he understood the inference that this was the mountain that God meant. Um, and some, the Midrash goes on to say that he doubted at it for a minute, and he thought maybe this was a natural phenomenon. You can get it. We know that when you go to Cape Town and the southeast is blowing, you can look on the Table Mountain and it has a tablecloth. Well, maybe the same thing. Something was blowing in the wrong direction, and uh, there was a cloud around it. So he decided to see If the people who were accompanying him, Yitzhak and Eliezer and Yishmael, saw it as well. So first he turned around to Yitzhak and he sees. He says to Yitzhak, "Did you see anything on the mountain?" Um, And Yitzhak says, "Yes." Then Abraham said he walked over to the other two men and he repeated the question and they looked around and they answered in the negative. And with this. Abraham uh, realized that He wasn't looking at a natural phenomenon That the cloud was a divine sign And this was in fact the mountain That he was going to And why was it a miraculous phenomenon? Because the other two, Eliezer and Yishmael, Were not worthy of seeing it If it was a natural phenomenon Then it would have been seen And obvious um, by all so that's what it is that he perceives. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and wrap it up when we get back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back and uh, we're discussing the ascent of Abraham, the donkey and three companions Yitzchak and his two servants, so to speak, Yishmael and Eliezer, and Abraham sees the place upon which he will have to take his son up. Now, very interestingly, the word that is used for that is makom, the place. And the rabbis go and understand from that that makom is also used as a name of God because it's symbolic of his presence. And when we use the word makom, we're talking about a holy presence. Now, this mountain on which um, Abraham and Yitzhak would ascend was, in fact, um, the Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, um, today, geographically, we know is the Temple Mount. It is the place where we are told, at the beginning of time, the Evan Hashtia, the foundation stone of the world, derived from there. This is the source, the place where the world, um, so to speak, grew out from and expanded and became the world as we know it. This is the place now where Yitzchak is going to go up as a sacrifice. It is the place where Yaakov um, puts his head down to sleep and sees the famous ladder um, of the angels going up and down and further down in history. This is the place where the first and second temples stood, and it is the place where the third temple is going to be erected. It is a very, very holy place. It's a place um, that has a tremendous amount of spiritual power, and it is, therefore, a place that has, throughout history, unto this very, very day, been a source of much content- contention and um and 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 upset um, as to as as to this mountain, you'd actually think that really, in truth, what is it? It's a little hill. It's not even it's not even a table mountain. It's nothing like absolutely amazing. But it's it's pretty obvious that when we understand all the contention around Jerusalem and particularly the Temple Mount, um, it's it's a war that has been fought for thousands of years simply because this this place is no simple place it is the place where um, the most the, the the deepest things happen it is a portal between heaven and earth it is a place that is the fountain through which all the blessings of earth come through and it's a place that our forefathers recognized as being unbelievably holy so when abraham goes and sees this strange dark cloud hovering over the mountain and surrounding it, he understood that the divine presence was there. And since Yitzhak was the only one that saw it, he understood now he had to take leave of the young men with him and proceed further on his own. But we're not going to get into that now because time is up. And so I'm going to proceed and take leave of you. Um, I hope you enjoyed our time together. And I look forward to... Being here at the same time, same place, next week, and we will carry following the footsteps of our forefathers and this special journey that that Abraham took with his son Yitzhak. Everybody out there, Shavuot Tov, and have a fabulous week.